Recently, I had an event in New York City. I had hundreds of people come and I brought actual real couples up on stage and did a mini podcast right there in front of everyone. It was awesome. And I'm very pleased to announce that I'm doing two more events. I want to let you know about it before anyone else knows. June 1st, I'm going to be in Philadelphia. June 4th in Boston. If you want tickets, you can get them at iwt.com slash philly and iwt.com slash boston. Between now and May 3rd, you can use the pre-sale code RICHLIFE to get tickets. Again, June 1st, I'll see you in Philly and June 4th in Boston, iwt.com slash philly and iwt.com slash boston. You know, money doesn't have to be boring. I get a lot of questions of people who have set up their accounts, who have money being saved, and they're like, what now? What's next? How am I supposed to design my rich life? That is why I created the journal. The journal is something you can do either on your own or with a partner. Imagine yourself 15 minutes in the morning, you have a cup of steaming tea, and you're sitting down following the prompts that help you envision what your rich life is. What's your perfect week? What's your perfect month, year? This journal is designed as a no-numbers journal. It's not technical, but it's going to help you understand what you truly value and also what you don't care about. I recommend you pick up a copy of this journal. You can do it solo or with a partner, and it will help you design your rich life. Get it at any bookstore now. We didn't have food for a day and for a couple of days until my grandparents maybe helped us out or my parents pawned something. We took turns eating sometimes. I'm not scared to be poor. I've been poor. I've been without food. I know what it feels like. I've been without a house. I, I'm not scared of it, so who cares? I don't care what the future holds. I can make it work. And I don't know why that got to be a comforting statement to me, but it, it did. I thought for sure I've broken the cycle, but now I don't feel that way. I feel like I'm going down the same road and I'm taking Asha with me, so I feel really bad about it, honestly. I feel really horrible. Hey, I'm Ramit Sethi, and today I'd like to introduce you to Asha and Matt. Asha is 33, Matt is 37, and they have very different backgrounds with money. But what's unusual and what really changed their lives was when Asha got sick. She wasn't expected to live. So Asha and Matt basically said, screw it, and decided to spend their money as if there was not going to be a tomorrow. But then something happened. Asha got better. Now here they are, having spent a lot of money, much more than they thought they would, and wondering what to do next. As usual, I'd like to remind you that you can watch this full episode on YouTube. In particular today, you'll be able to see things in their facial expressions that you cannot hear on the audio version of this podcast. So head on over to YouTube and search for Ramit Sethi and then follow me there. Let's get into it. I'm Ramit Sethi and this is I Will Teach You To Be Rich. About a, a month and a, like maybe two months into dating, I started getting really, really sick. And within four months of dating, we knew I was going to have open heart surgery. And then I had it within six months of dating. And the prognosis wasn't great. You know, it's her second open heart surgery. We were worried about long term. There's just everything that goes into being on a bypass machine, being under for that long, having prosthetic device placed in your body and then being on the medication that you're going to be on after that. So I knew that there were all these complicating factors, but I'd say that Matt and my parents had a bigger understanding of the complexity that was going. And I was just 
kind of trying to get through the days of like working and coming home and going to sleep or yeah. working. And I remember there's a picture that we have from during that time. That was like a day that my mom texted us and said, you really should go to the Greek festival, go and have some fun together. And there's a day we're sitting on a curb eating a gyro, And it's just this picture that's from that timeline. And it's kind of funny to think about um, because it was a very specific time frame that I don't remember a lot about other than feeling terrible and happy at the same time. Wow. So I think I, I don't have a clear memory of a lot of it. My memory feels pretty fogged by how terrible I felt. Um, mm. Because, you know, a second open heart surgery right there, which it was my second in. That was 2017. So then my first one was in 2014. So it was my second in under four years. Um, so, I mean, there's just the, the fact of being opened up again. And I did have short-term disability through my job, but that's only a percentage of your paycheck. And um, I physically couldn't get in and out of bed. And Matt continued to work during that time. Asha had a 70% chance of surviving. And doctors told Matt that if she made it past three years, that would be a signal that she'd be much more likely to survive in the long term. And so we went into the spiral of, if you make it, let's just enjoy life together. I mean, who knows how long it's going to be. You might make it 10 years, you might make it three. But um, so we both bought in wholeheartedly and we tried to, we went down this path of pretty much YOLO of whatever, you know, let's just be happy you're alive and let's go. Um, just just enjoy life together. We just went to dinner a lot and went on um, some small trips, nothing major. Um, and just, I guess, I think in times so where we probably shouldn't have spent a hundred bucks on dinner, we just said whatever. Who cares? Okay. And when did you start to both say, "Hey, we don't know how long you're going to be around. Let's just loosen up on our spending, and let's just go for it." I don't. I don't know if we ever had that conversation. I think that was mostly me um, just just kind of doing nice things for Asha that I didn't know. I knew she wouldn't do for herself. She's really, really thrifty and she doesn't spend or, or do anything nice for herself like she should. So mm-hmm. I guess just, you know, little gifts and um, I don't know, probably cake or something stupid. Um, I mean, I think that's pretty understandable. You know, somebody just had a major surgery. It's like, yeah, all right, I'll buy them. Uh, a cake from the store, no big deal. So yeah. when did you realize that this had become a problem? <clears throat> um, yeah, so it became a problem after she recovered. At one point, we were had accumulated some credit card debt. Um, what was the first number you remember where you said, oh, wow, we have some credit card debt? I think it was about $8,000. Okay. Who was managing the money day to day? Probably nobody. We were just... Okay. You're spending it, kind of paying the minimum, that type of thing? Yeah, I think we would pay more than the minimum, but we never were paying it down. Like we okay. should have. It was just gradual increase. Okay. So we didn't really have a clear set. Who's going to manage? Who's doing this? Um, Asha had the credit card, really, because my my credit was ruined by my parents still at this point. Mm. Um, what credit card did you have? No, you're going to hate it. It was Bank of Bank America. Bank of America. How did I know? <laughs> For everyone watching, I don't have that information in front of me. I just knew it. I could just tell. There's a little Bank of America vibe right here. All right. <laughs> so you had the Bank of America card. All right. Yeah. Well, of all the things, uh, you guys bought yourself a little bit of grace with the 
two open heart surgeries yeah. for everyone listening and watching. If you don't want to get absolutely roasted by me, you need to go through two open heart surgeries. <laughs> and that way I'll be like, all right, I can excuse the bank of America. <laughs> can anyone really judge them for loosening up their spending? If my wife was going to die, I would spend any amount of money. Cost would be irrelevant. And that's me. I sleep with a copy of Warren Buffett's letters under my pillow. You should also know that Matt and Asha bought a house at the time for security and for more caretaking space. That's because her parents stayed at the house and helped Asha during her recovery. You know, one of the things I love about this podcast is that you get to peer deep into people's lives, which shows you that money is never neutral. It is not just a tool like so many people say. Money is imbued with cultural values. If you saw someone on the street with $150,000 of debt, what's the thing that we mostly would think? Oh, they're irresponsible. But what if you find out that they had to spend more for caretaking because their wife was about to die? So you had this $8,000 Bank of America credit card debt. And then what happened? I took money out first to do it. Asha, was it you? Uh, wait, took it out from where? Don't say a 401k. Yeah, I took a 401k loan out. God damn it. All right. Yeah, but it was, right. it was penalty free. Who told people... you to do that? Nobody. Uh, the internet told me to do that. The internet. Okay. The internet. But so, did you do that before or after I had um, the appendectomy that cost more than my open heart surgery? Because no, of the so that's not where we took money out. I think we, we just knocked it down and we said, you know what? Okay, we're back to zero. Let's start over. Okay. Then Asha got sick again. She had to have an appendectomy. <laughs> then she went out of work again. And then medical bills piled up. We got back there again. The actual open heart surgery wasn't the really big hit on the finances. It was everything else that comes with being partially out of work, being home, not being able to do the normal things that you do. Totally. Yeah. I don't think people really understand how a serious illness affects people. You know, first of all, some of the surgeries, like you mentioned, your appendectomy, how much did that cost? I think it was. Well, I think it was my out-of-pocket max. So I think it was $4,500. Okay. Because, because of my complex medical condition, I actually had to be in the hospital for an entire week for that. Yeah. So first of all, 4500 bucks is a lot of money. It's not just often sitting around in, in a liquid checking account. And then, like you mentioned, if you're out of work for a week, a month, two months, plus you need to have other people come, plus they need to eat, and on and on and on and on and on. Things spiral. You need certain medical things. I mean, it's expensive. I went skating. I fell down like a like a skating like a kid skates. Okay, I fell down on my wrist. I had a minor fracture. It was like nothing. It probably cost me a thousand bucks. That's for nothing. That's mm -hmm. not even close to serious illnesses that you went through and many other people went through. So that sucks. I'm really sorry that you have had to incur all these costs because of it. So you paid off the debt. You had the second illness. How did you pay for that? Credit card? Yeah. Um, I think partial credit card, partial um, like a long-term payment plan okay. that hospitals do. Okay. So you're paying X hundred dollars right, per month. Okay. Yeah. And then we were still within the one year of the three-year time frame that Matt had been told. Um, Right, because that appendectomy was about a year and three months following that open heart surgery. 
And so we're still within that time frame. We had gotten engaged and it was very much, I think, that <clears throat> mindset of we're going to enjoy life together because seriously, clearly, we don't know what's going to happen. Things can get frustrating easily. And I think um, we enabled each other to make really poor choices, both big and small. All right. So what happened from then until now? It started racking back up. Can we just be clear when you say we're going to enjoy life together? I think every young couple says they're going to enjoy life together. Are you saying we're going to enjoy life together and we don't really care what happens with our finances? Yeah, I, I think we actively chose to just ignore what was happening with our finances. Yes. Okay. Both of you did it together. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Was there one person who was taking the lead on that or was it both? That was me for sure. Okay. We got to a point where we were just um, going out to eat a lot. We we ran the debt up again. We got up to about 13000 I pulled the money out of my company sponsored 401k, which is penalty free. And it was the interest goes back into the 401k and all that crap. So I talked to the people who manage it and they said, well, this is probably your best option after I do it online. So I got it, wiped the debt out again. Went back to zero, everything was fine. And we, for some reason, just then, I don't know what triggered in us, but we just started going out to eat three or four times a week. And we went on a really expensive duck hunt to Mexico. And there was one week where we went to a, a high-end steakhouse in town three times. We were three times? Around. We were riding around like, wait, should we have tacos? Well, the taco place is too busy. Hey, let's call the people. And then I called them, hey, do you have a table? Yeah, we can get you in. So... Yeah, we spent $900 in a week on stage. Whoa! They said, do you have a table? No, we don't have a table. Do you know that this is Matt and Asha? We've been there two times in the last two days. They're like, come on in! Come on in, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it felt pretty cool, but yeah. Okay. Uh, not a good idea. Okay, Honestly. Asha, I see you laughing over there. What do you remember about that time? Um, I mean, yeah, he's portraying it really well. And I think, I think we were able to excuse some of it because... Right. We we would have just enough room or we would have things happen that made it feel like okay or feel like I could excuse it. And maybe that wasn't for both of us. Maybe that was for me. And and what was your thinking? What did you use to tell yourself back then, Matt? Honestly, at that point I told myself, Well, I'm in this. Um, if something happens to Asha, I probably don't want to hang out anyway. I'm gonna go ahead and cash out. So if she dies, I'm probably going to go with her and who cares? It doesn't matter how much money I had in checking account or my 401k or whatever. So I honestly bought into that. I wholeheartedly really thought if it gets that bad, then so what? You know, really, there's, which is key. seems kind of scary at the time, but I was being very calm about it. I never thought that this sounds crazy. It does. I hear it saying it out loud now. It sounds pretty wild. This is wild to hear. Matt is saying that if Asha died, he would probably commit suicide. I want to talk about this. From an emotional perspective, I think that we can all understand this type of feeling. If you're married to the love of your life and she passes away, you think to yourself, yeah, you could go on. Or maybe you could just cash your chips in. It's distasteful. It's uncomfortable. But I completely understand why Matt is saying that. How would I react if my wife died? I have no idea. But I can see how he would get there. But let's also talk about how this affects their finances. Matt's comments remind me of a classic concept 
called dissonance reduction. When you ask smokers how they justify smoking, knowing it's bad for your health, knowing it causes cancer, and of course, they don't want cancer, how would you expect people to reply? These people have two competing concepts in their head. I'm a good person who wants to live, but I'm smoking cancer-causing cigarettes. Guess how they reduce the dissonance? They say, well, I'm going to die anyway. In other words, I know that smoking will be horrible for my health, but in order to reduce the dissonance of me seeing myself as an upstanding person who's interested in living a long life, I'm going to point out that we all die anyway. So I might as well enjoy my time here. Because, of course, not smoking wouldn't be enjoyable. That's the concept of dissonance reduction. And it explains a huge amount of peculiar behavior about money, politics, health, work, and sex. And I'm thankful Matt shared his example with us here. If you're curious about this, you can search for cognitive dissonance and dissonance reduction. And you can also think about your own life. Where do you have cognitive dissonance where you're holding two competing ideas and you have found a way to resolve them? It is a fascinating study into human behavior. If you ever follow me on Instagram, sometimes you'll see me post about my behind-the-scenes travel experiences, coffee tours, salsa-making classes in Mexico, all kinds of culinary stuff in India. And I'll get a lot of people saying, where do I find that Kyoto notepad maker that you found? And one place you can find that is Viator. In fact, my wife and I used Viator to book a Segway tour where we took a tour of a new city and we had an amazing experience, something we never would have thought of doing on our own. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. And with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everybody. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real travel reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best travel activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. I have a friend of mine who's always cold. She told me she and her partner have totally different temperatures when they sleep. She goes to bed in a flannel pajama. She's got extra blankets. Her partner's running hot. So now she recently started testing the pod cover from 8sleep, one of our sponsors. Before she goes to sleep, she gets on the app, cranks up the heat, and when she gets into bed at night, it's already warm and waiting for her. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on your bed like a fitted sheet, and it collects information. It has sensors. The pod then uses that information to understand what you need to get better sleep. You can set it to heat up or cool down before you get into bed. It also adjusts while you sleep. And you can set it to change temperatures to gently wake you up in the morning. Best part, there are two zones. So if you run hot and your partner runs cold, you can each set your side of the bed to exactly how you want it. Improve the way you sleep by using my link at 8sleep.com slash Ramit for $200 off plus free shipping on their high-tech pod three cover. That's 8sleep.com slash Ramit. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T, for a better, smarter sleep. Why, why are you so good at communication with other things, but not this? 
I mean, neither of us has ever talked about it. I, we didn't have it, <laughs> and we didn't talk about it. And then Asha had it and didn't talk about it. It was it was the same, pretty much the same thing. Interestingly enough, our neither of our families talked about money or the lack thereof, and yeah. so we didn't learn any real management. Asha was doing pretty good before I got there, so this is why it's a big problem. Is because I really feel like she was making forty thousand dollars a year, but she still had six thousand dollars in savings, and here I was coming off of making six figures, and I'm broke, beyond broke. Um, Matt, how did you grow up? Where did you grow up? I grew up poor, um, in a trailer most of our life. Uh, a lot of housing insecurity. My parents didn't manage money well. Um, we were constantly moving, getting evicted. Um, so that was the case. And my my parents, um, they got a as the as funny as it is, they got a, a settlement for my dad getting an injury on the work. Um, and so they got about a hundred thousand dollars from that. And they that was going in maybe two years. And we what they get? To, what did they buy? I think mostly presents and then crap. They went on a bunch of cruises and they went on some trips and and just bought a bunch of junk that we didn't need. Mm-hmm. Um, How old were you? BC. I was 14, I think, when that happened. I remember thinking it felt really good to have all this stuff. They, My parents weren't great parents, but they, when they had the money, they did buy things for, for us that we wanted. Um, it felt like they cared. You know, that's how I viewed it. It did run out, and eventually they stopped making payments on the house that they had um, bought. And so they had bought 50 acres of land in a house, and they just let that get repossessed. Um, so I felt really bad about it because I was really emotionally tied to that place. It was such a big deal for us to finally have something that was our own. And hmm. When did you start working? Uh, when I was 16. And did you like making money? I did. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah I moved out of the house for as soon as I could. So. How old? I was 17 when I moved out. Yeah. Okay. How long until you started making, let's say, 50, 60K? It was, I was making pretty good money. I got involved in a in a developer uh right out of high school and that was during the 2007 boom you know the housing was going crazy and i was working with them so i was making pretty good money about 50 60,000 there what'd you do with the money i spent it um okay how'd you start earning six figures that's impressive <laughs> well i i was a police officer for a bit and then um i left that and went to work in europe for a bit um for NATO and uh, some other stuff. Okay. So you're making good money over there. What'd you do with the money then? You were saving it, right? I was saving it. Yeah. I was, I was doing some experiences because I'd never, that was the first time I'd ever traveled anywhere. So yeah. um, I was going to a lot of places, visiting a lot of countries. So I spent a good bit of money. What was that like? You grew up in a trailer. I'm guessing the people around you did not travel to Europe routinely. And <laughs> here you are living there, making six figures, traveling around. It almost seems like a different world. It was a different world. Yeah. Um, it felt great though. I was, I was, I really got cultured. That really changed a lot of my perspective of the world. And, right. What did yeah. you take away there? Like, what are some of the things that surprised you from living abroad and traveling that you would not have known if you had stayed home? It changed my perspective on humanity. Um, I, I worked in Kosovo through the Syrian migrant crisis that was going on there. And that that really shifted my perspective of, of the way that I viewed the world. And and that's part of the reason why I didn't come back to law enforcement when I came back. Um, 
but yeah, having access to money and being able to travel and just enjoy life was amazing. Um, it, it felt very freeing. It felt really good. Did you want but, to keep that going for the rest of your life? I did want to, yeah. Yeah. Matt grew up poor. You can hear it in so many things he says. There's the obvious ones, that he grew up in a trailer with housing insecurity. But you can also tell from some of his other comments. He said, quote, I'm not scared to be poor. I've been poor before. I'm not scared of it, so who cares? This psychology is very common in people who grew up working class or poor. The middle class and wealthy are absolutely petrified of being poor. This is one of the reasons they save money. Of course, because they also can save money. It's why they send their children to certain schools and why they concentrate on certain careers. By the way, I include myself in this. There's nothing wrong with either of these perspectives. The working class idea of, I'm not scared to be poor, I've been poor before, and the middle class or upper middle class or wealthy perspective of, I never want to be poor. There's a couple of really good books on this topic that I want to recommend. The first is called Reading Classes on Culture and Classism in America by Barbara Jensen. And another great book by Jesse Stribe is called The Power of the Past. To understand what's going on here, we have to take a second to really marvel at Matt's journey. He went from growing up in a trailer to working in Europe for NATO. What other data points did you hear that you would connect together? They really paint a picture of an amazing journey that Matt has gone on. And to me, these are so much more interesting than sitting here and looking at how much he spent on takeout last month. Yes, we'll get to the numbers, but without understanding someone's story, you cannot truly understand their perspective on money. And I, I had saved some money. I worked really hard to, to save. And I'd gotten back and found out that my parents and my sister had stolen my identity while I was gone. So I came back to $68,000 in credit card debt. And my boat had been repossessed because they weren't paying the payment on it. Um, they were getting evicted from their home. It was just a, a ginormous shit show. Um, so I'd saved up about 75000 And I'd come back thinking... I'm going to start over. I finally got myself situated. I worked really hard for four years. And um, so it ended up, I took some bad advice. I went back to a person that I thought was really financially savvy. In retrospect, I wouldn't have paid off all the debt. Um, I would have probably dealt with it as trying to get it cleared up for my credit in a better way, but I did pay it off because I wanted to do the right thing. And um, so I ended up pretty much back at zero, um, or maybe a little bit less than zero. <clears throat> so Ash and I talked about she was her lease was coming up on her apartment and my parents were getting evicted and I was trying to help them um, stay in a house that I was renting. And everything just lined up. Well, so why don't we just move in together and, and start fresh? And I didn't have any resources. I had, so I was honest with her about that. Like my credit had been ruined. I pretty much upset to spend every all the money that I've saved to. So I'm back at zero and, and not in a good spot. So it was hard because I know that Asha's comes from a you know her father's a physician her mother was a nurse and they've done really well and you know i'm old trailer trash here trying to date uh, an educated woman is way out of my league so gosh matt i'm so sorry that that happened and i can't even imagine what it's like to happen at all much less from your family yeah that was a nightmare really <laughs> yeah are, are you still in touch with your family no um we stayed in touch after that and tried to mend but i haven't heard from them in about four years now three wow. years of change all right. I'm sorry to hear that. When you were speaking to my colleague, you said something that really stood out to me. You said, I'm not afraid of being poor because I've been poor before. 
Yeah, that's been a thing I've said yeah. a lot to Asha too. Um, Tell me about that. I guess I had to to justify it in my brain when I came back and had to start over. And so I said, I can do it. I can make it. I just, had I not met Asha, I would have gone back overseas eventually. I would have I gone back because that was the only way I had to make any amount of money. Um, but I just started telling myself, and that was a way to like rationalize it is, I'm not scared to be poor. I've been poor. I've been without food. I know what it feels like. I've been without a house. I, I'm not scared of it. So who cares? I don't care what the future holds. I can make it work. Um, and I don't know why that got to be a comforting statement to me, but it, it did. I think it gave me some kind of confidence that I can navigate hard situations. I agree. How about when you're spending on certain things and you know that there's the credit card debt, et cetera? How does right. that fit in? Because I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Worst case? Worst case, I'm poor. Whatever. I'm poor. I've been, I've been it. I did it. I could do it again. Right. Okay. Looking back to how you were raised, what are some of the lessons you took away with money? It was enjoy it while you have it. And, and you know, it was a very feast and famine lifestyle. We, we lived paycheck to paycheck. And when we had money, it was great. And until the end of the month, and we didn't, and we dealt with it when we didn't have it. And then back again, it was the same cycle. You know? how'd, how'd you deal with it when you didn't have it? We just, we took turns eating sometimes. Sometimes wow. we didn't have food for a day and for a couple of days until my grandparents maybe helped us out or my parents pawned something or, yeah. I mean, so sometimes we just didn't have food for a couple of days. You know? When you say I grew up poor, you really mean it. You know, yeah. there are days you couldn't eat. And I, I, I don't think most of us can imagine that. So thank you for telling us. And oh. it actually, it explains a lot about the way that you see money even today. Do you see any of those links? What are some of the messages you grew up with that you think you have brought into this relationship? I think the habits are there and I, and I, I guess I picked them up just by watching, but I haven't bothered to correct them, even though mm. I thought I was, you know, I thought for sure I've broken the cycle, but now I don't feel that way. I feel like I'm going down the same road and I'm taking Asha with me. So I feel really bad about it. Honestly, I feel really horrible. Now you start to see how deeply his money upbringing affected him. What Matt said is very typical of people who grew up working class. They see money as here one day, gone the next, which it often is. So compared to someone who works at a nine to five with a 401k, it might appear there's a shocking lack of planning ahead. This is one of the core differences that I see between couples when one partner grew up poor. You'll also hear him say, if I go into credit card debt, I'll figure it out. This concept of just working harder, of brute force working more without regard to the effects on your health or mental health or anything else is also typical of growing up working class. What's that phrase you hear among the upper middle class? They say, work smarter, not harder. Imagine that, two totally different perspectives. Both of them, correct. One is not better. As Barbara Jensen points out in her book, in America, we often assume that the upper middle class is right, as if it's something that we all aspire to. But that's not true. Working class values are different, and in many cases, people do not want the values of the upper middle class. Now imagine what happens when you have two people from different backgrounds. That is what's happening here. 
We know that Asha's parents were around to help when she was recovering from surgery. We also know that they gifted $12,000 for their wedding and that they're Indian, which tells us quite a bit about their class, their financial abilities, and their culture. Let's hear from Asha. A few years ago, I was at a tea tasting in New York with one of my buddies. I thought it was going to be a normal tea tasting. Suddenly, six people from Japan come in. They pour basically three thimblefuls of tea and we taste it. I've never tasted anything like that. And they tell us if we were to buy that, just the three thimblefuls, it would be $75. Now, drop for drop, that's the most expensive thing I've ever had to drink. Not all of us have the time or the money to buy that specific tea from that specific mountainside in Japan. But what if you could capture that feeling of the care and the love, even the way that they served it to us? What if you could bring that to your home every morning? Well, I want to introduce you to one of our newest sponsors, Peak Tea. What makes Peak Tea special is that the tea is cold extracted using only wild harvested leaves from 250-year-old tea leaves. That makes the tea rich in minerals, and other beneficial compounds. Now, the greatest part is that peak tea is zero prep. There's no tea bag that you have to steep for the perfect amount of time. Peak dissolves in cold or hot water in seconds. It's already pre-measured, it's perfectly brewed, and it's perfect to take if you travel. My team's been trying peak tea, and they especially love the Pu'er green teas. For a limited time, get up to 15% off and a free quiver with 12 tea samples with my link, peaklife.com slash Ramit. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E dot com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. I get tons of email every single day, and I want to give you a behind-the-scenes look at how I manage emails from my team, from my family, and from you. I use a piece of software called Superhuman, and this is an email software that I actually pay for out of my own pocket. It works with your existing email service like Gmail or Outlook, and let me share how it saves me over 10 hours a week. So here are a few things I love about it. First off, it splits my inbox into different streams, so my important emails come into one place. It's not cluttered with a bunch of subscriptions everywhere. Next, I use keyboard shortcuts Unlike you barbarians who literally click and peck through every single email, U to mark it unread, S to star it, J or K to cycle through messages. And I use keystrokes to schedule messages, like when I want to ask one of my coworkers a question, but I don't want to send them an email on a Saturday. Now, I can work through dozens of emails in minutes using this. And Superhuman just introduced an AI feature, which allows you to take a huge email with all these people chiming in and automatically summarize what's going on in a few bullet points. It'll even draft emails for you. So if you want to buy back your time, Superhuman is a no-brainer to me. It's something I spend my own money on and I love it. Right now, all IWT listeners will get a free month of Superhuman. You can get started at superhuman.com slash Ramit. That's superhuman.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. Asha, uh, I understand that you grew up, your dad was a doctor and your mom was a nurse. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Okay. What do you remember about money when you were growing up? I knew that we had what we, what we needed beyond what we needed, right? We lived in an incredibly comfortable home. I lived in the same home 
the entirety of my life. Um, How many bedrooms? Damn, it's a long pause. I think four. No, well, I was... So like, how, how many bedrooms does this mansion have? She's taking like 45 yeah, seconds to yeah. count them. I no. go, damn. Right. All right. So, no, I, I would say that I thought growing up. So I think it's important to say that I thought growing up that it was middle class, but I understand as an adult that it was upper middle class. Hallelujah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Thank you. Big context was, was that I went to, you know, I received private education. I had, um, I knew that my college was being saved for, right? So I had all these factors. This, this might be wealthy, not just upper middle class. Yeah. So Have you considered think, that? Yes. And I think I have a lot of discomfort with that because of the people that I grew up around and I saw what their wealth looked like. Yeah. Well, we always and, love to compare ourselves. Fine. What are some of the lessons you took away from your childhood as it relates to money? Don't carry credit card debt. Oh, they talked about that? That was the only thing when we opened, when I, when I got my Bank of America debit card. Debit. Oh God, even worse. All right. What'd they tell you? When I got my first credit card, it was pay your balance. And they talked about the first, my mom would talk about the first credit card that my grandmother got and how my grandmother always bought her groceries at the end of her billing cycle. So it would show up. However, I don't remember what convoluted way that she was explaining this, but it came around into some such thing. Yeah. So that if she would have the longest amount of time, but she would always pay it off before she paid any interest. Okay. That was, that was, that was it. And That's if I it? went to medical school, that, that I would be the, the best child. Of course. That's Obviously. a given. Yeah. All right. Uh, Matt, I'm curious. Did you get any lessons like that from your parents? No, no, okay. we never talked about money. Okay. And it's funny that Asha's, um, Asha's upbringing was so hidden that when we started dating and we asked, I had a lot of hard conversations with her about, I do not feel like I fit in here. I don't think I should even go visit your family. I feel like you're dating way below where you should. But she really thought because her parents were frugal and drove one car and they had a nice house. She thought her parents might've made 80 grand. They were like, oh, I don't know, maybe. No, no. Your dad's a specialist. <laughs> one of the leading specialists in the state. Let's really be honest about it. But she, you know, thank you, Matt. Difference. Okay. It's very difficult to look back as an adult and realize that the story you told yourself about your childhood might actually not be accurate. And mm-hmm. Asha, in your case, you know, it sounds like your parents were frugal immigrants. It's not like they were, you know, spending money probably lavishly. It's really easy to construct a story about how we grew up. So I totally get it. But Matt, I love Matt's laugh because he's just like, yeah. come on. It was, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like your uh, high school tuition was more than my entire family's uh, income when we had nine people in our house. <laughs> <laughs> the totality of all the money. Fucking amazing. <laughs> our first date, we talked about who we really are at our core and what we believe in and how we see the world. And that's great. But, you know, you're, you're more than that. You're a totality of your circumstances, right? So it was a lot for me. It was a lot to even think about going to eat. Thanksgiving dinner at a house where the least amount of education there is two master's degrees and I am a high school educated. That's it. That's all yeah. I had at the time. Yeah. That was tough. <laughs> I mean, her, yeah, everybody in the house is smarter than I am and they're more educated and they're more successful. So it was really hard for me to walk into that and think about it. And from the beginning, I really pushed hard to maybe exit the relationship because I didn't think I could make it work. Um, How did you come to grips with that? 
and say, you know what, I want this and I, I'm going to put all those other things aside? I don't know that I have all the way. Some therapy helped um, mm. me navigate it. And I don't, her parents didn't approve of the relationship until they saw me care for her after open heart surgery. And then after that, her father came to me and said, I trust that you'll take care of Asha no matter what. Like, uh, you've shown me that you are a good man, a good human. So don't worry about your financial. Before that, he wanted to see my bank statements and my credit score. Yeah. You know, he's an Indian dad interviewing for a um, <laughs> match for his daughter. So, yep. That's beautiful, though. Which, yeah, I didn't have any good answers for all the stuff. But until that, his, yeah, they really bought into me after that, which I guess kind of in a way I'm grateful it happened, I guess. But yeah. Um, yeah, so some therapy helped me. But I still haven't completely navigated. I still have problems with it. So, and I think there's an additional level of context that helps too, because, um, uh, so I'm mixed and my mom is white Irish American. Um, and so my parents had already bucked that norm themselves in the seventies, mm. which, wow. and very rare. Yeah. And my mom's a badass who went to India when every in 70, 70 or 71 by herself. Wow. Um, Flew by herself with everyone thinking that she was my dad's pen pal to <laughs> meet the family. <laughs> and the lies begin early. See, they yeah. begin back in the 70s and they just continue yeah. until later. Indians love, they love the lies. Okay, good. Let me explain. I used to host these dinners in New York with my friend Michael. And every month we'd host six of us at this restaurant on the West Side. And one month we were talking about parenting. So there I am sitting there with five white people. And I was like, Oh yeah, Indians love to lie to their kids. I can't wait to lie to mine. And all of these white people just looked at me shocked. What? Surely you're kidding, Ramit. I was like, what? No, Indian parents will lie openly to their kids. They'll tell them, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to take you to the police and they're going to put you in jail. And then they will literally put them in the car and start driving. <laughs> the kids go, no, stop. Okay, they'll lie. And say, oh, you, you're sick? Here, drink some water. It'll help. They say this all the time. My dad once changed my resume. He literally edited my resume and forwarded it along to his friends to say that I was a computer science major at Stanford. I was like, dad, I'm not studying computer science. What's the conclusion of this story? I have no clue. Let's just say the way you talk to your kids and your parenting style is highly influenced by your culture. So if you have an Asian friend, if you have an Indian friend, if you have a friend from any different culture, go talk to them and ask them if they lie to their kids. You will be surprised by what you hear. Yeah, and basically say psych uh, <laughs> and once she got there. Um, you know, and there's this whole amazing story about uh, his grandmother handing her a very specific sorry saying like, I know who you are. So, you know, I... I think that there was a level of respect of the conversations that I had. I think Matt has one experience of what he felt and his perception. And I understand why, because there's a lot of ingrained beliefs that he has about himself. And then some of that becomes a perception of how others receive him. And then overlaying that onto how he believes that people are going to receive him specifically in this situation with my parents. Um, but knowing that the conversations that I had and knowing that the context of what their trajectory had looked like and their marriage and relationship had looked like, I had very honest conversations with them from the beginning about yeah. our relationship and what he meant to me and 
what our life was going to look like together. Um, I think that their biggest fear, I know that he received it as finances, but I do think that the finances were all tied up in my health because my health didn't start with my open heart surgery. My health started with birth defects and then my heart defect was just one of them. Okay. Um, so I think my parents just have an ongoing concern for that. And so I think when my dad first met him, that was a quick way to say, yeah. how are you financially going to support? And then seeing that physically yeah. overrode all of that. Yeah, um, but Matt, as you pointed out, when you were physically taking care of her, there's a recognition that money's not the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's beautiful in its own way. It's true. Money is one way. Not the only way. All right. Thank you. How are you feeling, Matt? No, I was about to cry just a second ago, but I'm good now. That's okay. You can let the tears out on this show. We love them. (laughs) I mean, this stuff is emotional, don't you think? Yeah, it is. Big time. What is as emotional as seeing your partner's dad come out and say, I respect you. You know, I believe in you. That is amazing. Yeah, it was a big deal. I think I'm the favorite son-in-law now. So <laughs> <laughs> I kill it. I kill the game. Now that they find what me. That's in, right. Listen, next time you go to their house, you you take a big like twelve by twenty-four blow up, and you write everyone else's name on it, and you just put yourself at number one and give yourself <laughs> right. five stars. Just start the ranking yourself and be like everybody else. You can try to catch up, but you're never going to do it. Oh yeah, no, I there, think that's no. how you win with a uh, with this family. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> This is really a beautiful story about love and support and acceptance. The cultural differences that they have and the illness that they experienced, especially Asha, could have separated them. But in this beautiful case, it brought them together. And all of this background brings us to the point now where they realize something has to change. I left my stable job in a health system and I started my own business. And um, Matt is going to nursing school. And so we have got to get our proverbial shit together. Mm. Why? Because <laughs> I like I'm I've increased my income and I we should we need to be able to live off of just my income while he goes to clinicals. And then I think when we get to that position where we're earning I'm earning more money than I've I've ever earned and it doesn't feel like it. And then also when we get to a point where together we're earning more money in a stable way than we've ever earned, I want us to be able to enjoy it and feel good about enjoying it without guilt. I think we looked at the debt and realized, holy shit, uh, there's no $12,000 checks in the mail right now. We have to pay this off. This is kind of reality now. Do you remember um, the moment that you looked at that? Yeah, I do. And it was right before I, I emailed you. Really? Yeah. Okay, so walk me through that. What happened? Where were you? I want to know. I had found, uh, I was listening to your podcast, and I, I think I had bought your book a long time ago. Um, and I, Googled, I Googled the conscious spending plan and downloaded it and spelled it out and really looked at the numbers and thought, oh my God, this is this is real. This is Asha's had a huge pay increase. I took a big pay cut this year, last year, um, to take a different job. But we have a lot more more income than we used to have. Our our income increased probably, I don't know, maybe 100%. So, And we're still, it feels like we're broke. It feels like we're poor. This is not good. 
um, we got to fix something. So, so you I downloaded guess. the CSP, you filled out the numbers, you realized, holy shit, we make more money, but it's not reflected in our day-to-day finances. Right. And then did you bring Asha into this conversation? I did. We filled, I think I told her about it and I told her that I thought we should apply to the, to the podcast, knowing that we probably weren't going to get in, but, um, yeah, it was a good start and it, it did bring her in. Yeah. And we still yeah. haven't had a, a totally, totally graphically honest conversation about it. I don't think, but why not? Honestly, I was feeling really frustrated at myself when I was filling it out. I was, I was being short tempered and I was being a dickhead, honestly. Um, and so I just, she sat on the couch with her computer. I sat in the chair with mine and we filled it out jointly, but I just put my numbers in without saying where the money came from or what the debt was. I just said, here's the number. This is what it is. That's, that's probably why. It was embarrassing, really. It's pretty perceptive of you to recognize your emotional state at the time. It's yeah. Pretty advanced. Tough. Have you gone to therapy before? <laughs> yeah, Miyasha made me go to therapy when I got because I wasn't doing well after I came back um, from overseas, and yeah, yeah, there was a time I, she almost left me because of it. But yeah. I got in therapy; it helped me a I'm lot. Glad. I could tell. Honestly, ninety-nine percent of people could not have said what you just said. It's well, really impressive. Well, thanks, Asha. What do you remember about that time where you were sitting on the couch filling out the conscious spending plan? Um, it was pretty hard. Uh, Why? I well he reflected really accurately what was happening. Um, and I, I knew that he was struggling. It was these emotions he's having. And, and I think I knew that deep down, but when we were, when he downloaded the conscious spending plan, and then when we were sitting on the couch, I had felt really hopeful. And then it was really hard because I was, I was in the Excel sheet and I was making formulas. I was putting, you know, equal sum and I was, writing each number and he was getting more and more and more short-tempered he was like he was saying why aren't you just putting a full number in there why are you putting each number and i said well because each number matters each part matters so we can talk about it and then he just gives me this number Uh and it it was it felt like are we taking a hundred steps forward and then 500 back to have no idea where this number is coming from i was on a place where i've I thought so surely I can handle this all myself and I was trying to get it done myself and I did not want to burden her anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed of it, what I've become. I, like I thought. What did you want to do with all those emotions, the embarrassment? What was your natural tendency? <clears throat> I mean, honestly, if I, if I went just pure emotional, it would be to exit Asha's life and let, and let her just go ahead without me because I'm absolute burden. I think the only way to move forward is for us to be completely on the same page. It doesn't mean that every little piece of those details matter 100% moving forward, but that we have a completely clear picture together. I think being on the same page, if we're saying it's completely shared finances, which is what we've said, means that it's shared finances, which means that we both understand what's Mm. happening with the money. Okay. And quick question for you. Does all of that need to happen the first time you fill out the conscious spending plan? No, maybe not. Looking back, do you think you believe that it did? Yeah, because I think I saw it as an opportunity of we're finally sitting down and actually talking about it and filling it out. So let's make it happen. Let's get it right. Let's get every detail right. Have you two ever cooked together? 
<laughs> That's probably the only thing we don't do well together, I think. Oh, really? Even better. Yeah. Okay, so this is great. So the first time you tried to cook something, what was it? I don't chop anything the way that Matt would like it chopped. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Uh, how do you chop it? With a knife. It's the wrong size. The wrong size. Okay. By the way, <laughs> I don't chop things correctly at all, so yeah. I'm with you. All right. And then, Matt, what did you say when you saw her chopping it totally horribly? <laughs> Just let me do it. I'll do it. Just stop. <laughs> Just sit down. Turn on a podcast. I'll, okay. okay. <laughs> Guys, the conscious spending plan is not meant to be... Uh, the most precise tool on the planet. You don't need to extend it to six decimal places. It's meant to give you a very simple understanding of your money quickly at a glance in a way you've never seen it before. So you can quickly tell if you are spending too much or too little in one of the four categories. There's value in simplicity. So many times we are obsessed with precision. I got to get this exactly correct. Guys, no, sometimes simplicity is way more valuable than precision. You can download a copy of your conscious spending plan. It's in the show notes. Take you 10 minutes and suddenly you will have a totally new view on your money. One of my money dials is generosity. For example, I love tipping big. I love buying gifts and experiences for my family. And recently I bought my parents a subscription to Delete Me, this episode's sponsor. Delete Me is a subscription service that will remove your personal information that's being sold online. If you've ever Googled your name, you'll notice tons of search results with your personal information being shared online. That's not okay. It's not okay for you. It's definitely not okay for your family, including your parents. Now, Delete Me will remove it all. Your name, address, phone number, all of it. It automatically works in the background to scan and delete your personal information from over 30 data brokers but they'll do custom requests on over 580 data brokers total. The thing is, identity theft is a real issue. An estimated 15 million Americans had their identity stolen in 2021. We've had a number of people on this very show who were victims of identity theft, and often it put them into tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt, and it ruined their credit. That's why I find Delete Me so valuable. It's a service that I personally use, and I love it. They reviewed over 4,600 listings for me and removed dozens of pieces of personal information. I knew it would be important to protect my parents too, but I also knew that they probably wouldn't sign up themselves, so I just got it for them. So if generosity is one of your money dials, great. If you care about your parents at all, if you have ever given them a hug, just sign them up. You know they aren't going to do it for themselves, but you also know that they probably need it. So if you want to get your personal information and the personal information of your loved ones removed from search results on the web, go to joindeleteme.com slash Ramit for 20% off a plan for you or your entire family. That's joindeleteme.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T, for 20% off. Okay, here's the scenario. You go to In-N-Out, you get the meal. The whole thing costs $7. Next month you go, same meal, same food, same taste, 14 bucks. What the hell? Then the next time, three weeks later, it's 20 bucks, then 50 bucks, then $475. You go, what planet am I on right now? That's what it's like to pay a percentage of your portfolio to a financial advisor. 
That 1% fee that so many of your parents are paying and don't even know it sounds like just a little bit, but it's 1% of your portfolio compounded every single year. If you're looking for a financial advisor, there's a better way. It's called a flat fee. Let me tell you how it works. Now, Facet is a service that offers affordable, accessible financial planning through a flat fee membership. With a fee-based advisor like Facet, your fee remains the same as your investments grow. So you make more and you keep more. Facet is giving my listeners an exclusive offer. They're going to waive that $250 enrollment fee for new annual members, and they'll give you $500 into your brokerage account when you invest $5,000 in the first 90 days. If you are looking for a financial advisor, you want to get a second set of eyes on your finances, I would recommend facet.com slash Ramit. Again, facet.com slash Ramit. Sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth, Inc. Facet is an SEC-registered investment advisor headquartered in Baltimore, Maryland. This is not an offer to sell securities or investment, financial, legal, or tax advice. Past performance is not a guarantee of future performance. Terms and conditions apply. Matt, when you start being a full nurse and Asha, by that time, how much are you both going to be earning together in your household? I think we hit 200 pretty pretty easily. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So you'll be making 200. If you were to make 200 today, what do you think would happen? Based on, I mean, I think we shifted right now. We could be okay. But uh, if we didn't slip back in our old habits, we'd be just probably raise our standard of living. We might go on some trips. Probably yeah. go to Argentina in a couple months, honestly. Wait, what the fuck? What about all this debt? <laughs> yes, I was about to say. So what the that, hell? that, no, my Argentina? What the fuck? Nobody's going to Argentina. <laughs> This is insane. <laughs> I'm with you. Okay, you could go to Argentina, but that's not the first thing I would say if you no. right, yeah. Actually, you just answered my question, Matt. The answer yeah. is we would get right back into debt. Right. I think debt would accumulate. I think that we would have the lifestyle shift. Yeah. Whatever that fancy phrase is. Yeah. You, I think that you would probably pay a little bit more towards your debt and it would feel good. It would go down. And then some big thing would come up, huge trip new car, whatever the thing may be. And, and then a year or two years from now, you'd look at it and be like, wait, what, where's all the money going? Right. It would just be proportional to our income now. Correct. Correct. And that is the cycle. I can't figure it out. Let's, let's fix this. Okay. (laughs) Let's look at the conscious spending plan. Shall we? Let's do it. Let me do a recap of the numbers here. They make $167,000 combined this year. That's $4,000 for Matt, who's in school to be a nurse, $10,000 for Asha, who has started her own practice. They have $274,000 in assets that includes a house, cars, and a boat, $41,000 invested, but they owe $10,000 to the 401k, $12,000 in business savings for Asha. And for some reason in the CSP, their net worth is shown to be $98,000, but that's actually wrong once you factor in their debt. All right. And debt, what do you see there? A scary number, $228,390. Okay. What is that? That is credit card debt. That is our mortgage. Um, what we owe on our mortgage. That's the how boat. Much, how much um, is the, the boat? Oh, the boat too. How much is the boat for? 11000 Okay. Boat for eleven k. How much is the credit card debt for? Um, you guys stop counting? Yeah, I think, let me see, from my end, 
I think it's about 13 or 14. And then whatever Asha has. I have about 11,000 between two cards. 26K or so? Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> and the rest is the house? How much is on the house, the mortgage? Uh, 125,000. All right. So you're making about 167,000 a year gross. That's a lot of money. Yeah. What the hell? All right. How do you guys feel about that number? Should be pretty good. I took a big pay cut or a $15,000 a year pay cut to take the job I have now so I can go to school. It's pretty good. I mean, fantastic. The two of you, great. I don't know why you guys are so morose around here. God, it's like a dark violin is playing in the background. Okay, we'll get with the debt. We'll fix that too. But God, this income is pretty impressive. The income is really new too on my end. So yeah. part of, I think, what was hard filling this out was it was like, or part of the feelings were this is new, but we should figure it out with what's coming in. Yeah. L- let's talk about that for a second. I often find that um, people who just start making more money, they are still living in the past. So they'll do weird things like this. I'll be like, how much do you make? They'll go, well, um, I used to make like 4,200, but uh, only in the last two months have I started to make 10,000. I go, look, are you going to comfortably make 10,000 a month for the foreseeable future? They go, yeah. I go, then that's the future we're living in. So Mm -hmm. let's just put 10,000. Like you have to mentally accept that I made it to this level. This is now who I am. And that's a hard identity to change. Mm-hmm. especially with money. Right. I want to look at these numbers very quickly. Mm-hmm. So okay. let's look at your, your mortgage is $925 a month. Holy shit. Never leave. <laughs> yeah, <we're not>. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Never leave. That's it. <laughs> not. Uh, what do you guys feel about that number? I'm pretty proud that we bought a house at that level. I'm glad that we, because we were looking at houses that were more expensive, but we we made the right financial call there, I think. Mm-hmm. How did you decide to do that? How did you decide to get that house? We literally both said, let's think of worst case scenario. If one of us gets sick or loses our job, how can can one of us afford this on our own? And we, at the time, said we can afford 900 bucks a month each. Gosh, I'm surprised because that is a very, very savvy way of buying a house. Extremely savvy. Takes a lot of discipline to buy beneath your means and you did it yeah. very savvy. And yet on the other purchases that you make, it's not savvy at all. No, not at all. Well, I'll, I'll t- you know what? I'm going to look at it optimistically. I'm going to say the fact that you did that with the biggest purchase you made is amazing. The fact that you can be savvy with your money and purchase below your means tells me that you two can do it. So at least there's demonstrated mm-hmm. excellence there. Now we just got to apply it to other things in life. Right? Yeah, we'll take that win. That's yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. All right, round of applause. You did yeah. it. Great. You're spending 8% of your gross income on your house. That is phenomenal. It's really low. We like to see that number below 28%. 8% is like, oh, that's great. Car payment, $935. Okay, what is this? What kind of cars? I have a Jetta. Okay. What year? Two thousand. 17. Okay. Matt? Yeah, I just bought a new truck recently. My old truck, the motor went out and it was either spend 10000 on that or, and I was spending $600 a month in gas with it because it was a horrible truck. So I bought a very small basic package Toyota truck 
How much? It's a manual transmission, cloth seats. Cloth seats like this. <laughs> I never owned leather seats in my entire life. Okay. A Toyota is good. How much was this truck? Uh, it was $44,000. Uh, yeah. Okay. What do you think about that? Yeah, it feels, it felt like a lot. I've never bought a new vehicle in my life. I've always, I drove a 97 Tahoe for 15 years, uh, but I felt like I'm going to buy a truck and this will be probably the last thing I buy for the next 15 years. So I justified it that way because I spend a hundred bucks a month on gas now and I used to spend 500 a month on gas. So I justified it in my brain that way. Uh, do you need a truck? Need one? I don't know. We're renovating this house and... We like to cut up firewood and give it away to people. So we got mm, okay. <laughs> this is the first truck owner I've ever heard who admitted they don't actually need a truck. This is, this is, there's a miracle happening on this show today. I'll tell you that. Okay. I just want to point out something you did. It's very interesting. Okay. You said, I used to spend 500 bucks a month on gas and now I'm spending a hundred. Yeah. That is impressive compared to what you used to do. But what if you didn't compare it to someone who had a $500 a month truck, old truck? What if you compared it to someone who had a more economical car? What would that look like? I could probably half that again, really. Exactly. Osha's car. So. Exactly. Bingo. So one of the things that I think both of you do is you choose your comparisons very carefully, always to advantage your argument. And what I would suggest is if you two want to get to the level where you are making good money, you're soon going to make more than 167000 You're going to make 200000 or more. And you want your expenses to be much more in line to be able to save and invest and all that stuff. Then you've got to change who you're comparing yourself to. Right here, I employed a strategy where I asked them if they have role models for their money. And I asked them to get really specific. <laughs> what I heard from Matt was that his friend has a nicer truck and a bigger house, but he doesn't seem to make as much money. What I wanted to do was reframe this pattern of comparison. I see this a lot when I work with my earnable students, the ones who I'm helping start their businesses. A lot of times business owners, when they start up, they have one business that they, they stalk and they keep an eye on. And as they go through the program, oftentimes their business ends up being bigger than that random website or Instagram person they're following, but they cannot stop comparing themselves to them. And at a certain point, I go, look, you're bigger than them. You're way more successful than them. You need to dream bigger instead of comparing yourself to someone who you surpassed years ago. We do this in our own lives as well. We compare ourselves to someone from the age of 16 or 25, somebody in a different city. But what I learned is as you go through life, you create your own path. And at a certain point, you cannot compare yourself to someone else. Because if you are crafting your rich life the right way, your life will be confusing or even bewildering to others because it fits you so perfectly, like a handmade glove. That is what we are looking for when we talk about designing our rich life. Matt, mm -hmm. you are making too much money to be thinking this way. So one of the things that I want to do on this call is elevate you to be seeing money in, at a different level. But it's interesting. I would not decide if someone is good with money by the car they drive or the house they live in. You know, that usually is probably bad with money, right? Like you probably don't drive a twenty twenty three seventy thousand dollar truck, right? No. So clearly, that's why I laughed when you said cloth seats. I'm like, what else is there? 
(laughs) (laughs) But for me, what would be really impressive with money is having an understanding of it, having more than enough in a savings account and an investment account, and really never having to worry about tiny expenses. I think the stuff thing is something we might want to, that'll probably take time because my guess is if you go all the way back to being a kid, having money meant what? Yeah, you could buy things. Yeah, stuff. And and ironically, now, if, you know, somebody making 200K living where you live, which is very impressive for a relatively low cost of living area, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you have stuff. Actually, you may have less stuff, but it may be higher quality, or you may shift it for experiences, that that kind of thing. Because you have debt, which we're about to get to, it's a considerable amount. It means that you have to really think carefully about big purchases. All right, let's look at the rest of these. Yeah, sure. Your boat payment is one seventy five. How long does that go on for? Uh, forever. I don't know. Too long. Huh? Like, is it, this boat is like eleven thousand dollars? Yeah, I think we paid eighteen for it or nineteen to start with. We got what the fuck? Yeah, we got a few more years. We were stupid then. Yeah, that was a bad decision. But okay. All right. um, yeah, and this. I'm, uh, I'm, go ahead. I'm willing to get rid of the boat. We've already talked about that. So Fantastic. Debt payment is one thousand five hundred dollars per month. That's for all of the debt, which is uh, two hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars. Is that right? Oh, minus the mortgage. Yeah. All right, so that's for your boat and your credit card debt. Yeah, that's that's just credit card debt and loan and Oh shit, that's just your credit card debt. I think that's the boat. I think that's credit cards, yeah, cuz the The boat is above. Boat is yeah. above, yeah. Can I just point out that you're paying more for your credit card debt than you're paying for your car payments combined and you're paying more for your credit card debt than you're paying for your mortgage. Yeah. That's not right. It's not. That's like wildly off. All right. Okay. This conscious spending plan is really helpful because it tells us when something's out of proportion. You know, the only type of surprise I like is having more money than I thought at the end of the year. Never less. (laughs) Okay. That's That's how wealthy people think. That's what you guys are going to start doing. Right. Yeah. We're thinking like poor people. We got to think like wealthy people. Right. Exactly. Perfect. So with that said, let's Mm. write down where you are spending your guilt-free money right now. All right, so we got the eating out, 400 bucks a month. What else? Travel is two times a year. How much you spend on those trips? I don't even know. That's crazy. Thousands, I'm sure. I don't have a, I don't know a number. 5,000. So setting a savings goal for, would be important. Definitely. Yeah. Well, let's just say it's, uh, yeah. what, 7,000 per trip? Yeah, yeah I think, I think that would be a fair... All in. So that's 14,000 per year. So basically 1,200 bucks a month is how much you spend on travel. Yeah. You ever calculate it like that? Well, we're paying more than that, right? Because we're putting on a credit card and then paying yeah. luck. So. Double it. 2,400 a month. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. So you are currently spending more on your travel than you are on your rent, uh, your mortgage. Like by you're spending more than twice as much. You ever think about it like that? No. See the I mind. Do, Go ahead, Matt. I was, I was saying I do, but I'm in that stupid mindset of, okay, so what? That's good. Like you should be spending more on travel than you do your house. Travel is mm. fun. <laughs> stupid it house. It could be. It could be. I'll tell you what. That's a great answer, actually, Matt. That's not a stupid way of thinking. That's actually quite sophisticated. 
it could be because you are spending so little on your house, you've actually given yourself the ability to spend more on travel, which I can sense is important to you. But, and this is a big but, you haven't planned for it anywhere. Right. That's mm-hmm. a skill we don't have. I don't have it. Yeah. yeah. Why would you? When you grow up and you live in a trailer and there's no money, so much that you can't even afford to eat sometimes, you go, oh, planning? What the fuck is that? We are lucky to have enough money to make it through the week. How are you going to talk to me about retirement and compound interest? Right. And that is where the cycle begins. It's it's not that somebody who doesn't have money is any less smart than anyone. It's that life circumstances create this narrowing of a field of vision. And that's all you can focus on. And so we got to change that though. You have, you make $167,000 a year. We've got to open up like your pupil. It's got to open up and see that you can see beyond next week. This is where money gets really hard. It's one thing to not have enough money. That is very hard. That's often structural, like housing costs being really high or health-related illness. What happens is that many of us think if we just had $5,000 or $10,000 more, suddenly our money problems would vanish. And yes, there are certain problems that vanish if you have an extra $5,000. But I talk to people like that all the time on this show. Okay. They start making significantly more money and suddenly they realize they have a problem they never anticipated. Their money psychology is not keeping up with their income. It sounds so minor, right? Their money psychology, who cares? But that explains why Matt continues to compare himself to a friend who has a nicer truck and a bigger house. It's a good example of how in America we have a phrase that goes, money changes people. And it's usually said scornfully, as if money changing people is a bad thing. Of course money changes you. It should. It's made me more spontaneous, adventurous, more generous. If you start earning a lot more money and you find that you haven't changed at all, that is a major red flag. You've set yourself up pretty well because of your housing costs. That is your number one savior. Because your housing costs is so low, you have room to play with. We we can go through some of your fixed costs and cut some of those. We'll do that. It's really the, the major issue here is the discretionary spending, the stuff that's just day-to-day. And do you both know why you spend so much on that stuff? <laughs> I think, yeah, because I like to buy things for Asha, mostly. <laughs> why? Because it... It makes me happy to see her happy. And I know she wouldn't buy the things for herself. So, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and remember when you were a kid and your parents bought you stuff when they had money? What did yeah. it mean? Yeah. I, yeah. That's, <laughs> I guess it meant they cared. I don't know. But yeah, that's a whole deeper thing. <laughs> no, that's, that's it. They bought you things when they didn't have money and when they finally got it and it told you, what? Yeah, well, now that you say that, I think maybe it made them feel good and maybe it makes me feel good. And maybe this wasn't about me. It was about them. Exactly. I think. And that got passed along to you. The problem is when they were buying all these things, you told me my parents didn't spend a lot of time with me. When they had money on the off chance, they would buy me stuff. And that felt good to you, but probably more to them. Now you're doing the same thing and you're spending more than you've got. That's the cycle. So can we reframe that? 
Do you think Asha needs all the stuff you buy her? No, but... Okay. Okay, stick uh, with me. Stick with I'm me. I'm here with you. I just... I know that it's nice to buy things for people. I, I totally get it. I'm not going to tell you to stop buying stuff for her, mm-hmm. but just stick with me for a second. Do you think she wants the things you buy for her? Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. What do you think she wants more? The things you buy for her or the ability for the two of you to redesign the way you approach money? I'm sure if she thought about it, she would rather that. She would rather us have a better money mindset. Well, why don't you ask her? She's right here. Yeah. On the back end, she stresses about it. I know you do, right? If I buy you some dresses, you're happy. But then on the back end, do you stress about where that money came from? Yeah. That's not something we've ever talked about, though, right? You've never said that to me, which I guess... It wouldn't make you feel good because I know why you're buying them. And I know that it brings you joy. And I know that the money's already been spent. So why share the stress? Oh, hold on. Hold on. This is is a fascinating conversation. (laughs) Wow. What do, what are you thinking, Matt? I'm thinking I wish she would tell me that, and it may have changed my mindset. But I'm kind of glad she didn't because I do really. It makes me happy to order her some skirts from India. Like it was, a, you know, it was a big deal. Like she didn't buy clothes when she started a new business. Whatever, it's it's, it's thousands of things on top of that. But can you two talk about this right now? I feel like this is a very important moment. So really, overall, like a, a, a net happiness for you when me buying you something that we don't have the money for is more stressful to you than, than anything, right? You, you probably get negative happiness overall out of that, right? I don't think, no, not negative happiness. Because especially things like, the, right, the skirts, for example, or the, the bag that I carry every day for work, right? The really, really thoughtful, really, really custom, really tailored, right? Those are yeah. really, really, really special. Um, yeah. Aside from those that we have, there's tons of things I've probably ordered for you and got for you that you didn't really, you didn't need. And it didn't make that big of a difference. Those things are very impactful. That was a big deal. But well, give me an example of something I bought that was, that stressed you more than it made you happy, maybe. I think that's the hard thing is I don't know that there's an example of something that there was they outweigh like that but i i I was just going to say i think i do hold both emotions right um and i think i think it's a similar emotion to when i thought about things like not the truck you have now but the truck you had before um just it, it feels similar to that emotion of in the moment weighing i don't know that we can manage this payment or thinking about the um four-wheeler I, I don't know that we can manage this payment but also wanting you to have something that feels nice to you um it, it feels similar to those emotions um of it it didn't feel like the the stress was worth weighing in the moment because it felt like maybe i was being irrational yeah, I don't want to put that burden on you of saying police my spending because that doesn't feel fair, right? Like that's, and that's I what I wanted to say. Yeah. Can I pause you here? Okay, so good conversation. Do you feel like you are progressing to a, a, a better place right now or do you feel like you are rehashing what has happened? I think I'm progressing because that's something I really had never considered, honestly. I'd never thought about. What was it that, that you're considering now? 
that that if I spent five hundred dollars on Asha, is she worried about where that money came from? Okay, I never considered that. I just thought I really didn't, and that was that's interesting. So, what did you think that basically she would just be happy because that's how you feel when you get something? Yeah. Okay, Asha, that's a pretty big realization, right? Yeah, it is. It's really big. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of soothing happening with money. Yeah. Soothing the other partner, self-soothing, even self-soothing by buying the other partner things. Do you think that that's fair to say? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. What might be a way that we can replace that? What is a way to look at using money instead of, for soothing the other partner and ourselves, how should we think about money? We have a shared goal because that's what I was going to say. I mean, that's what what would be meaning making to me is having shared spending goals and looking at that on a regular basis together. Is look at this, look at this growing, look at this yeah. debt, look at this debt shrinking, look at the savings growing, and what are we going to be able to do with this that we wow. want and that we plan together? Do you have a shared goal? I mean, we say pretty broadly, oh, we want to go on more trips and we want to have no debt, but not not specific goals. No, we don't. Let me ask you this. When you say we want to have no debt, do you know the exact month and year your debt will be paid off? No. No. Okay. That's like a vibe. I want to be healthier. Nothing ever happens when we say that. But if we were to truly make it, a very specific thing. Like it became one of the most important parts of your relationship. Money is already one of the most important parts of your relationship. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it is. If we were to get into it and say, within money, what are the three most important things for us? If debt was one of them, Mm -hmm. what would that look like and feel like for the two of you? It would be amazing and, and uniting because it's something we have to get done in the next two years or I can't quit my job and go to school and, and raise our income. So we have to take a step back to step forward. But it, it's a have to get done. It's not a, it's not really an option anymore. And I guess that's why we're here. If I had credit card debt and I was like, shit, uh, this thing snuck up on me. It's been four years overspending, et cetera. And I just, I said, I'm done with this. I want to fix it, I want to pay it off. What would I do? Set a specific goal, mm-hmm. like an amount goal and a timeline. Mm-hmm. So let's let's take a number. Let's just say okay. theoretically twenty six thousand dollars in credit card debt. I don't know where I got that number from. Uh, <laughs> what would my goal be? Could be a percentage of your take home income. Could be. Well, you want to just do it right now. I mean, yeah, that's where yeah. let's yeah, do it. All right. So, so here's the thing when it comes to these decisions, when they start to get the numbers start to be pretty big, mm-hmm. it helps to set an intention. This is important to us. Yeah. Do we both agree we are going to commit to spend time and money towards that? Absolutely. Yeah, it absolutely is. All right. So, that's number one, which is you both set an intention and you both acknowledge, hey, this is going to be hard. It's going to be one of the most important things we do. There is no amount of talking about this too much because it is one of our top three things in our relationship. Great. You're both on board. Now we got to get to some actual numbers. Okay. So your credit card balance, $26,000, correct? 
ballpark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So your current payment is what are you paying? Fifteen fifty four. Yep. All right. How long do you think it's going to take you to pay it off? Yeah, it would be probably ten years or more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you guys ever run a calculation like this? No. All right. So right now it's going to take twenty months to pay off, which is less than two years. How's that make you feel? That still feels too long because that's minimum, right? That. Wait know. a second. He just said ten years, and it's less than two years. That's pretty good. Yeah, it still feels like too much. I'm like, we're that's actually money. pretty good. Less than two years instead of ten, and you're both like, no, this sucks. Okay, I like, I like the ambition. Fine. You, you don't want any coddling. I won't coddle you. You're at one thousand five hundred fifty-four dollars per month. It takes you twenty months to pay off, which again mm-hmm. is less than two years. You want to pay it off a little faster? No. Yeah. All right. How much will you get if you sell your boat tomorrow? I mean, I probably have three thousand in equity on it. Not, or yeah, I could probably sell it for thirteen thousand. So you would get you would take home three k, maybe, yeah, maybe less, right? Two k, yeah, yeah. All right. Again, let's always be conservative. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's just model it and see what happens if we do this. So instead of your balance being twenty six thousand. And taking 20 months to pay off, it would be $24,000 because you would put $2,000 towards it. And it would take you 19 months to pay off. So you would essentially make one month's worth of payment towards it. Maybe two. Okay? Something Mm -hmm. to think about. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm just pointing it out to you. The reason I'm not so hot on selling this boat as a big thing is that it's a one-time activity. Yeah, they should sell the boat. but it's not going to change their lives in the grand scheme of things. What they really need to do is to completely change their monthly spending on an ongoing basis. Really important distinction. There are things you can do one time as a one-off, like you can sell a bunch of stuff in your house and make some cash. And yeah, you should probably do that in certain scenarios. But what actually makes a difference is changing your consistent money behavior every single month. For example, you know, it'd be even more valuable changing the savings rate from, let's just say 6% to 8%. That change alone or changing your investment from 5% to adding 1% every single year, that little change can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. So in other words, consistent changes are worth way more than one-off changes. How much more could you contribute Towards your debt, if you were hyper focused on this, can you guys just tell me about eating out? I mean, you're eating out a lot. I feel like that's something that could be managed easier. Yeah, we could save some money there, but it feels like a small portion, right? How like, much could you save? Let's just start there. I mean, what fifty dollars a week, maybe? That's two hundred bucks a month, right? Yeah. Yeah. So instead of fifteen fifty four, we would do seventeen seventy four. <laughs> that would take you from twenty months to pay off. To 17 months to pay off. Yeah, that's a big difference. Big difference. That adds up. Yeah. All right. That does. Done. We're going to do that. Lock that in. You both okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Your travel, you're just simply not going to travel, which is fine. What else? So, one of the things that I've 
been curious about and I've been figuring out with having my small businesses, like I've been finding the balance of how much I pay myself. And mm-hmm. I've been finding the balance of whether or not I can pay myself more because this is my first true tax cycle. Yeah. And I think I might have wiggle room to pay myself more. How much because more? Because I've I've been really ambitious in um I mean, I feel like I could take home even paying myself $1,100 a week would be an extra $400 a month. If you have more money, then yeah, put it towards debt. Yeah, that's what I was saying where I could pay myself more. I've just been really... Because I determine how much I pay myself out of that. I've just been really careful in it because I've been oversaving and being uncertain exactly how much my tax burden is going to be. You have an accountant? I do. Okay. Just ask them how much to put aside. And great. And you probably are oversaving. (laughs) Beginning entrepreneurs always oversave because they're always like petrified. Oh my God, I don't want to end up with... And that's smart. That's smart. Over time, you end up with too much business cash Mm -hmm. and you need to leverage that. Either you use it for your business to grow the business or you distribute it. Mm -hmm. And if you distribute it, guess where that money goes directly to? Yeah. And where would you put it? What The debt. The debt. So, (laughs) yeah. So an extra $400 per month towards our debt. Can you do that? I think so. All right. Hold on. So now we're, oh my God, we're at $2,174 a month. 14 months to pay off your debt. Yeah, we That's can do that. Right? Pretty mm-hmm. fast. Yeah. Notice I did not factor in the boat. Should I do the boat? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to try to sell it. Yeah. All right, good. Let's time. do the boat. We don't need a boat with this much debt anyway. 24,000. No. Now you're at 13 months to pay it off. Plus, honestly, it just simplifies your life. Less payments. Yeah. If one day you guys have so much cash, you don't even know what to do with it, get a boat. You have my blessing. Not before you have about $500,000 in investments, okay? All right, good. We're down to 13 months of debt payoff, striking distance of a year. That feels doable, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I mean, you're still eating out. You're still, you still have this truck. Most importantly, you still have each other. Yeah. We get a lot of joy from the truck. Yeah, <laughs> keep the truck. <laughs> keep the truck. You can do. You can afford it. But what can you not afford to do? I mean, we can't afford to carry this debt anymore, longer than we have to. Um, and we can't afford to add any more bills or payments, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Okay, you can't afford any big, big purchases. I agree. What about the little ones? What about the random? Let's go out to eat. It's Friday. Etc. I think we have to agree on shared meaning of any purchase. And I think we have to shift to that type of mindset. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, that means full, full money transparency, which I have some credit cards that are mine that Asha didn't, doesn't see. So that's, a, that's where the problems came from, mostly, is that the money just gets spent and Asha really doesn't know. Because if she did know, it'd probably be a big problem. We probably yeah. wouldn't be here. All right. Well, you should definitely have Total transparency for sure. You yeah. should have regular meetings about money. You're not necessarily checking on each other, 
but you're building new habits to hold each other accountable. Okay. And you both know that, hey, once in a while, one of you is going to backslide. That's okay. In fact, you talk about that at the very beginning. Look, how do we want to show up for the next 12 months on these meetings? I know that I have some habits that I learned from childhood. I need your help. I'm going to take the lead. But I suspect over the course of the next year, I might backslide a couple of times. And here's what I'm looking for. Matt, do you feel like this conversation has given you some insights into why you were purchasing those things and how to reframe your purchases? It really did break the dopamine cycle hit that I had from that. Honestly, uh, with without just thinking Asha sees it and is ecstatic and that's the end of the story, that the harsh reality is it sucks. I actually cause stress to my partner. So yeah, no, no that's powerful. It's not a fun. It's not that's a, fun a powerful game. recognition you have. It's very promising that you see that. And I'm not telling you, Matt, to try to deceive you and say like, oh, she actually doesn't want them. No, she'd actually love them. But oh, sure. There's something even more important than short-term soothing. Right. A it's common goal we have. A common goal. Long-term. And that is not as fun as buying a gift and seeing their beautiful smile and reaction. But guess what? When you have this $2,000 a month debt payment gone, when the two of you have your investments growing and your savings growing, the two of you are going to be operating on such a different mindset that the way you talk about money, think about money, behave with money is going to be completely different. But in order to get there, you have to start acting like it right now. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That number, by the way, once you finish paying off that debt, have you ever thought about what you're going to do once that debt gets paid off? $2,000 a month? No, because... I. I kept getting stuck in this cycle of it'll take us so long to catch up. It doesn't really even matter. And that, yeah. It's, it's only a year. I know, but I mean, like, we, we should have a million dollars by now, but I don't. So I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, to get to a million bucks, I'd have to take this. And... Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's another example of you comparing yourself in a way that enables you to keep doing what you're doing, right? You go, we, we should already have a million bucks. That's true. Well, let's not compare ourselves to that. You're, you are where you are. Let's just work with who you are. Right. All right. And honestly, I think it's I think it's quite impressive. You're in nursing school. Uh considering where you grew up, how far you've come, I think it's amazing. Honestly, I'm not satisfied with it because I think in the next 14 months, your trajectory is going to change dramatically. Yeah. Dramatically. Asha, you have amazing income coming in. That's awesome. Matt, you're supporting while you're in school. Amazing. That income's going to go up. 200K in a low cost of living area. Holy shit. Are, should you have a million? I don't know. But the fact is, if you guys get this stuff turned around, you're going to be financially doing very well. This is a beautiful story of coming together from different cultures, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and surviving illness. Yeah, they spent more than they should have, but that can be fixed. What can never be replaced is the bond that you create between partners especially when created through hardship. I have a lot of confidence in Matt and Asha. I really loved speaking to them. They understand what happened. They have taken responsibility for their spending behavior and for why they did it. And they understand the reasons they need to change. I'd like to share follow-up messages that each of them sent me. Here's what Asha said. 
We took time Saturday afternoon and worked through an updated conscious spending plan. It was exciting to see how all of these changes could work. This experience was vastly different from the first time we filled out the CSP together. We have done so well in communication in all other areas of our lives that I think we had let ourselves overlook the most important area. Our conversation with you really brought this to the forefront for me, and I feel that we are now tooled to do so. For me, the biggest surprise was coming away not feeling like we were in a dire place, coming away with a lot of hope and excitement, seeing how pretty small changes could make an impact and on a reasonable timeline was so exciting. And now here's Matt. Matt said, we are both actively involved in therapy together and separately, yet still we were unable to breach the topic of what had been such a key factor in my relationship with money. Discovering how my perceived bids at letting her know how important she is to me were actually causing her stress and anxiety really impacted me. She's an impressive human, and maybe I was compensating for my feelings of feeling less than by showering her with experiences and gifts that we really couldn't afford. I did struggle some after our call. Looking back on the money spent and discovering that most of the debt is a result of experiences we had together made it really tough to reconcile feeling guilty about the money spent. That roller coaster of emotions doesn't serve the greater good, and Asha will be much happier knowing we saved and were prudent in our planning to have great experiences together that we are both able to completely enjoy. Thank you for acknowledging the circumstances we've navigated and that the past has been hard. That we aren't in a deep enough hole that we can't save ourselves, and that with some adjustments in our approach to money, Together, we might even make it to Argentina one day. Thank you for watching and listening to I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I'm Ramit Sethi. Thanks for listening to I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I'm Ramit Sethi. Please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't read I Will Teach You To Be Rich, my book, pick up a copy. You can get it at any bookstore or any library, and it will show you the specific tactics for how to build the I Will Teach You To Be Rich system into your personal finances.